Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lab Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Jest. The episode you're about to hear exists only as a result of Patreon. In order to keep this show alive, just under 200 incredibly kind people regularly donated their money on a monthly basis. As a thank you, a couple years ago, I made this exclusive episode only available on Patreon. The reason you're able to listen to this now in this feed is because I can no longer keep this show running at its current pace without your support. The sad truth is the show has to take a break if I can't maintain a, a certain level of income. If you love The Laps, if you, you think it's a show you'd like to keep listening to, if you think that, yeah, it, it's worth more than the price of free, I encourage you, go to patreon.com slash The Laps and make a small monthly donation. If you got change <laughs> that's been sitting in your pocket, now's the time to do it. The other reason you're now hearing this episode is because if The Laps does hit its next tier, and we can hit it, if you pause this and make a contribution, we can hit that goal. But when we do, if we do, there will be another exclusive full-length episode, a story by myself, just for my patrons at patreon.com slash the laps. Now, if a monthly donation is not your thing, if it's just not tenable, now you can actually make a one-time singular donation via PayPal to stories at the laps.org. Any amount helps. If you're not already a patron, you'll get monthly video diaries from myself with my day-to-day stories, new episodes a full week early, access to a dozen different mini-sodes only available on Patreon, and a new series as well. I'm, I'm doing something called Ungussied, a kind of director's commentary for the laps. That's the last of my pitch. I do hope you consider it, but if not, I understand. Let's get on with the show. So about four years ago, maybe five, I was on a reality show called The Audience Canada, like an actual reality show on TV, part of the cast uh, for a number of episodes. And I was not yet working on the laps, but I knew that there would be a story in there somewhere. So I kept a daily diary, like a journal of everything that happened just in case. Bit of trivia for you, actually. Five of the first six episodes of the laps are also cast members of the Audience Canada. I swear, if you go back and listen to the first six episodes, I swear you will hear at least, at least half of those voices in this episode. I call this one the skinny white Oprah. See with your ears, this is The Laps. Come on, audience, clump up, please. You're clumping, you're clumping. Now you and you in the back, clump up, please. Good, good, good. Clumping. The first and last words you'll ever hear as an audience member. Uh, let me catch you up. <clears throat> Force 4 Entertainment seeking participants for Canadian version of UK series The Audience. Some sort of transformative social series, life-changing decisions, blah, 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 blah. When you boil it down, the concept is this. Every week for five days, 50 strangers known as the audience tail somebody with a life crisis. Everywhere they go, their job, their home, their dates, their shopping, everything they do short of taking a pee. These 50 strangers put their heads together, ask some personal questions, and peel the onion of the episode's protagonist. Does the collective wisdom of the audience prevail? Or will their advice be swiftly ignored? That was the pitch, anyway. Of the 50 of us, there are only actually 30. In order to make the pack look denser, we have to march shoulder to shoulder, ass the crotch in unison. Picture trying to spoon your partner and walk at the same time. We're supposed to look like a hive mind, but unless you're in the front, you have no idea where you're going. 
You rely on the whispered warnings of the person ahead of you. Watch the good. Somewhere behind me, a cameraman gets a knee in the face. Clumping's harder than it looks. As soon as we clump well enough for the cameras, we file inside to meet our protagonist. The show had already been through two episodes, so most of the audience already knew each other. Today was my first. Victor Bear Park is a 48-year-old cashier struggling with a life-changing dilemma. My dilemma is, should I or should I not seek out my birth parents? I've heard from many now, my degree is in film, so lights, cameras, action, none of that interests me. I was not here to be famous. I know I run a podcast, but I don't want fame, and I don't even like fame. I was here to find a story in something I believed was stone-cold stupid. Every Saturday night... We meet Victor at a gay bar on Vancouver's Davy Street. Center stage, a drag queen cracks wise while Victor takes pictures from below. If you like what you see, buy me a shooter. If you don't like what you see, buy me a shooter. We surround him in a circle, tall people back, short people front. And when the cameras roll, the audience pounces. Victor, is this the job that pays the bills or do you have a day job that pays All the bills? 50 or 30 or whatever of us are competing to ask the question that makes the cut. Hey Victor, can you tell us why we're here? Personally, being the center of attention gets my heart pounding. But if I'm here to get a story, I can't be a bystander in it. Victor's a 48-year-old cashier. He shoots the gay clubs constantly, and he does it out of his own pocket for free. So I swallow my courage, and I blurt out the question that seems obvious. Victor, uh, tell me, why haven't you tried monetizing this yet? Victor, do not answer that, says a voice off camera. Remember that question for tomorrow, okay? Seconds later... The rabble starts back up. Victor, how long have you been thinking? I take some breaths, practice saying my next question in my mind, and I ask another. Victor, Victor, do you feel like the passing of your adoptive parents is the reason you're looking for your birth parents? Hold on, Victor, please do not answer that. Whoever asked that question, we don't want to give away too much. Um, it's just surface level today. So save that question for later, all right? In other words, this is scripted. As much a reality as Disneyland is. When the questions are finished, I haven't said a word that'll make the cut. But as the cast digs into soup and sandwiches, I get pulled aside. Excuse me, says a woman, shaking my hand. It's Kyle, right? Kyle, my name is Tara. I'm a producer, and I have to tell you, I don't mean to butter you up, but I'm so happy to have you on the show. She smiles. You know... If you look around, we haven't had much of a younger voice in our audience. I really appreciate that about you. How old are you? 26, I say. 26? My, and I thought you were 19. Listen, you had some great questions. I would love to have you ask them again. Will you do that for me, Kyle? They were so, so great. Please, please speak up tomorrow, okay? You take care. As soon as she whisks away, another audience member saunters up. Sean. Sean is like reality TV made flesh. He's the audience's leader, polite, commanding, well-spoken, and so absolutely full of shit. Hey, new guy, you're on fire with those questions, aren't you? Did you piss off to you already? <laughs> Just kidding. You must be on our good side, good for you. He looks her sideways. Not that she's got any bad sides, you know what I mean? <laughs> Watch yourself. Before and after the shoot, we do talking heads. Those are the confessional bits in every reality show when a contestant speaks directly to the camera. 
A director only has time for seven or eight of us, so being a talking head means that somebody likes you. Now, I don't think the questions I'm asking are particularly revelatory, but the next morning, I too am a talking head. Look at you, says Sean. What, are you trying to put me out of a job? <laughs> the camera's set up so that when I look into the lens, I can actually see our director. He asks me where I stand on Victor's dilemma and if I can relate. You're very perceptive, he tells me. I'm so glad we have you on the show. Each day, this is reinforced, needled into my brain. How do you come up with such pointy questions? Do you have a background as a psychologist? And before you know it, I'm starting to think, you know what? I am pretty perceptive. Today, we clump on over to Victor's house, see the home that makes the man, but by now, I know the camera's waiting for me, so I've got to look good. I go straight to Victor's bathroom, but there's no mirror in there. That's weird, I say aloud. He doesn't have a mirror. As I walk out, one of the front row divas skirts past me. Oh, hey, she says. There's no mirror. How does he shave? I don't know. I don't know what to say. There was no mirror in the bathroom. She stole it from me. How was the world supposed to know that that was my insight? So, our next meeting, I resolve to make up for it. I see the words I wish I could now put back in my mouth forever. With limited information at hand, the audience meets alone for the first time. You look at his apartment, you look where he lives. He's, he has a single bed. His bathroom doesn't even have a mirror on the wall, which says something about his ability to self-reflect. <laughs> you know, present day I'm embarrassed, but right then I have said exactly what our producers were hoping I would. Sure enough, the audience cannot stop talking about mirrors. Do you feel lovable? Do you look in the mirror and say, I love you? What do you say when you look in the mirror? I don't look in the mirror. <laughs> Why not? Victor Why not? tries to play it off. I was a hairdresser for, 20, for over 20 years. I've stared in the mirror. It just does not interest me So I me leap anymore. at the chance to interject. Is, are there other areas of your life that you have unfulfilled? You said you've, you're a cashier. You're 48 years old. You have this passion for photography that you haven't necessarily followed yet. And you've had a lack of long-term relationships. Talking heads. I think the void but Victor is still avoiding the question. Adoption. It's about being unfulfilled in his work. Yes, I would love to be a professional photographer. Do you know how much it costs to go to school? I live a pretty frugal life, as a lot of us do. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars to be a professional when you already have people who love your work. You so are these excuses in some way? You know, you could take a quick Now, here's where things get interesting. Victor is all we talk about, day in, day out. 30 of us psychoanalyzing every minutia of his past and present life. So even though I went into the show thinking this was ridiculous, I'm suddenly invested. The whole audience is invested. But Victor is putting on his best poker face. Despite always looking like he's on the verge of tears, he insists that he's happy. So the audience starts confessing things about themselves, hoping to connect anything and everything to find some common ground. One woman says, you know, I was addicted to crack, but..." first step was admitting it. Then a man pipes up, he says, I was never there for my daughter, and I am ashamed for having abandoned her. And suddenly, another woman, she's chiming in, she says, Victor, my father molested me, and let me tell you, I wish I had never met him. Left, right, and center, these skeletons start careening out of closets everywhere, all over the place, into the open air. Soon, the front row starts bawling. And the effect ricochets back and forth and back and forth until even I am sobbing 
now at the breadth and struggle and humanity of these people. We look to Victor. He has the only dry eye in the house. He says, I think you guys could use some therapy. Of course, the producers are already excising most of this. We are wildly off script. They can't air any of this lunacy, so... We're waiting around, and a crew member sneaks up and whispers in my ear. The director wants you to ask a question. Ask Victor if he thinks the death of his sister felt like the death of his mother all over again. For the past week, the audience has delved into intimate details of Victor Bear Park's life. Today, they deliver their verdicts to Victor, answering the question, should he seek out his biological parents? I feel apprehensive. Ultimately, we decide Victor should seek his birth parents. Of course, that's hardly unanimous. I, for one, think that's the least of his problems, but the show must go on. Seven of us are chosen to deliver the verdict, and I am one of those. For maximum emotional impact, <clears throat> we get a script. Or the lowest rent equivalent. My lines are jotted in pen on the back of a release form. Monica delivers her line. When we started this journey, many of us thought it was a simple dilemma. But as we got to know you a bit more, we discovered your dilemma is actually a lot more complex than we originally thought. And then I do. You've suffered some serious loss. You've lost your mother, your father, Wait, your that's not me. They cut me. They cut me out of the verdict. The time to open yourself up. Lest we love. forget to tie up loose ends. We believe that first step is to put that mirror back up on your bathroom wall and truly love that person you see. As the last day of shooting winds down, Victor goes home. And I catch Sean on my way out. Hey, he says. Skinny white Oprah in the flesh. Welcome to the Big Leagues, huh? You gonna be back for the next episode? This thing does well. You and I are going to have some fans. I tell him I'm starting a new job at this tech blog company thing, but I say, you know what? Yeah, uh, maybe, if I can get the time off. Amazingly, only a few weeks at my new job, I do convince my boss to give me the time off. I mean, come on. The show needs me. They want me back. Kathy Cocard is 40, single, and she works in sales. My dilemma is, like a lot of women my age... Do I listen to my biological clock and have a baby on my own? Or do I wait for my Prince Charming? This time, I'm the one briefing the newbies. No, 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 Robert, clump up, clump up, come on. Like this, see? Robert's nearly twice my age. He's a large guy, width and height, denim, head to toe. But my favorite part of his outfit are these fabulous purple women's glasses on his face. Everywhere he goes, he constantly looks befuddled. It's like in another universe, he would be John Candy's brother. We do the usual meet and greet with the protagonist, snoop around her home to find things the producers have planted. Robert is way into this. He flicks through the books on her shelf, looking through self-help and religious texts. She's got everything from the Bible to the Koran. I wonder if she's a Jew for Jesus, he says. I like this. You and I are like detectives. I assume, like last episode, that I'm gonna be topping the director's list. Talking heads, scripted questions, final verdict. What I don't realize is that we have a different director this time. He doesn't recognize me, and in fact, he's not a director by trade. He's an editor. Being an editor myself, 
I have a sinking feeling. <clears throat> you, we're gonna film some reaction shots, okay? Uh, smile for me, please. Uh, no, 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 bigger than that. Good. Uh, do a nod. Mm -hmm. More, 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 more nodding, more nodding. Now, shake your head like you disagree with what Christian said over there. How are you going to use this? She asks. But I know exactly how he's going to use this. By making her run the gamut of expressions, he can force her to agree, disagree, or even become upset after the fact in the edit, to something she never had any context for. By the fifth instruction, the woman refuses to cooperate. I'm not your puppet, she says. Days go by and I don't get a talking head. I don't get lines. Robert, that big old pile of smiles, he gets both. And even though I say that I don't like fame and I don't seek it, I'm jealous of him. I think to myself, how is this a story if I'm not on TV? The second to last day, I get one talking head. I've barely been on camera at this point and I've had to miss a day of work, so I actually have nothing relevant to say. I'm outside the door when I hear the same gal from earlier. I don't want to say something I don't believe. I promise we're not putting words in your mouth. You just feel a little flat. Me? I'm flat? You. You're the one who's flat. I feed off people's energy and you don't have a good energy. I'm done. She shuffles swiftly by and I'm ushered in. When he asks me to smile and to nod and to grimace and to laugh, I do all of those things. I know it's going to be manipulated, and I know it's not going to be representative of me, but I'm a complete and utter shell. It's all about the screen time. When it comes to determining what's best for Kathy, it isn't much of a debate. She's a recently divorced, serial monogamist, never really been single, and by her own words, does not love herself. But a baby will love her unconditionally, so she probably shouldn't have a kid right now, and the audience almost unanimously agrees on this. Our director... For him, that's a problem. Um, oh, excuse me. Says the director. We need to get this on track. Could you, um, could you restate the dilemma for our audience, please? Yeah, 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 says Sean. He gets into character. Guys, we need to figure this out right now. Should Kathy have a baby now on her own, or should she wait to find a partner? The audience agrees. She should wait. A light goes on in Sean's head. Uh, guys, we need to figure this out right now. Should Kathy have a baby now alone as a single mother? Or should she wait to find Mr. Wright? Boom. Before I had my children, Mr. Wright. I was much like Kathy. I became a better person as soon as I had my child. You guys are being skewed. The view skewed. You can't have that view. You can't have that view, Christian. As soon as Sean gender charges the issue, all hell breaks loose. You can't say to every 14-year-old girl, listen. The men are at the women, the women are at the men, and I feel like I'm the only one who realizes what's just happened. This is not about all women everywhere. This is about her. This is about Kathy. I know it's not going to be on TV, but I try to speak up to get somebody to notice just how manipulative this whole thing is. Well, so how are we going to come to this consensus? Nobody is listening. How are we going to figure it out? Wait for a man. Why would anyone want to wait for a man? Come on. I so strongly disagree. I think the group is divided because some of them don't even know what it is to be a parent. It's close. Nowhere near the unanimous decision it was. 
Here's Manuel from The Lapses, Episode 3, with the verdict. Now, after much consideration, we have your verdict. Kathy, we believe that you should not have a baby by yourself right now. We know that when you allow people to see the real Kathy, <laughs> Mr. Wright is not far behind. <laughs> oh my God, yes! Uh, thank you. As soon as Manuel gave the verdict, she just... I came to the audience go. with an enthusiasm for just how silly it was. For me right now. And I, I had no interest in being I on TV. You I but somewhere, really somehow, that became the most important element so to me. After Kathy's episode, it felt sort of dirty. I returned for a total of four episodes and managed to do most of my work from home, but my cynicism for the whole shebang was uh, pretty palpable. By the last episode, when we were asked to perform nearly half a day of clumping, I lay down on one of the seats in the cast bus so that nobody could find me, and I slept until it was over. Such a crazy journey. It's been so great. <laughs> I have never opened up this much before in my entire life. That episode again was shared by yours truly, Kyle Jest, and was made possible by patrons of the Laps at patreon.com slash the laps. An extra special thank you to this month's executive level patrons, Daryl Kane, Priya Punwani, Bren McDonald, Jennifer Cherney, Leslie Miller, Rob Holcomb, Lorinda Green, Antonio Da Silva, Matthew Gibson, Cindy Crines, David McCaw, and David Gaddy. I'd also like to wish David Gaddy and his wife Ashley a big heartfelt congratulations on their marriage. Happy marriage, if uh, if that is what they say. Happy uh, 0th anniversary, happy um, zero hour, happy patient zero. Stay happy. Remember, you can help The Laps keep running for as little as a buck a month at patreon.com slash The Laps. You can also make a one-time donation to stories at thelaps.org via PayPal. And that is also the address if you have a story to tell. You can reach me there, stories at thelaps.org. Thank you to everybody for the reviews. Thank you to everybody for the support. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Laps. Thank you all. <laughs>